Well, tonight I conclude our series on the power of our thoughts, and this has been a nine-lesson series, and it's been quite a journey for Faye and me throughout this time, and perhaps it's been a journey for you too. Um, as we've examined our inner life this year, and which is the most important part of our life to God. And throughout these nine months, the Holy Spirit has humbled us, convicted us, encouraged us, renewed us, and transformed us. We began our journey in September, and we explored what we think. And we examined the need to co-labor with the Holy Spirit to overcome these toxic thoughts and replace them with God's truth. And we talked about how to take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, we talked about how to pull down mental strongholds and think on whatever things are lovely and true and just. Our final message tonight is titled, What We Think About God's Truth. And one of the deepest cravings of the human heart is to know the truth. We want to know the truth about our involvement in the Ukraine war. We want to know the truth about our medical condition. We want to know the truth about our increased property taxes. If only we knew the truth, this would put an end to the uncertainty. But a far deeper hunger for truth is gnawing at the heart of every man and woman. Because in the secret of the heart lies the haunting question, what if there is a God? If there is a God, what kind of God is he? What does he think of me? What does he intend to do with me? How do I fit into his plan? And what is my personal relationship to him and his to me? And what about life beyond the grave? Will there be a resurrection? If so, what will become of me? Is there a hell? If so, how can I escape it? Is there a heaven? If so, how can I be assured that someday I'll be there? Whether you live on the Iron Range or Duluth or Minneapolis or Milwaukee or London, there is a hunger for truth about these questions. For these questions demand nothing but the truth. And God wants us to grow in our understanding of his truth, but this can be confusing to us at times. Not only what truth is, but what it does and how it works in our lives. And that is why I have selected this, verse, this passage, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 16, as our scripture reading, because this passage gives us the process by which a truth passes from the mind of Christ to our mind. So let's open up the scriptures and let's read 2 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity we have tonight to open up your word. And your word is truth, Father, and your spirit is truth, and the Lord Jesus Christ is truth, Father, and we're surrounded by your truth. Thank you so much for that. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us the gift. You've given us the gift of the mind of Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would use that mind to honor and glorify you. For it's in our Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's interesting because the topic of truth has been taught and discussed throughout the centuries, hasn't it? (laughs) It's been up for debate and up for discussion. And philosophers have written volumes to explore truth. And they have spun impressive theories. But what we need for a guide in life is not a theory that's invented by philosophers who are is subject to error as we are. We need the truth. Now, truth is one of God's attributes. The word truth occurs in the Bible more than 200 times. Interestingly enough, 100 times in the Old Testament and 100 times in the New Testament. And the Greek word for truth in the New Testament is aletheia, which means validity, reliability, veracity. And the enemies to truth are lies, deception, gossip, half-truths. The Apostle John used the word truth 47 times in his book. So obviously God places a measurable value on truth, and he longs for each of us to seek it, to find it, and apply it. When the Lord Jesus appeared before their Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, at his trial hours before he would be nailed to the cross, the Lord Jesus said to Pilate these words, You say that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate responded with a question. What is truth? And as suddenly as Pilate asked the question, he turned away from the one who is the truth without waiting for an answer. And sadly for Pilate, he was looking at the truth and did not recognize him. Now, Pilate's question, what is truth, has echoed down throughout the ages. And here's the answer. Truth is Jesus Christ, who is the truth of heaven come down to earth. And truth resides in the God of the universe. Truth does not originate with us. It belongs to God. And there is no truth we will ever discover that God does not already know and possess. And that's really good to know in a world full of lies and deception. For truth is not found in the media. Truth is not found in philosophies nor in individuals or political parties or the government. And when truth is no longer the standard for society, then everything else starts to fall apart. So our culture has bought the lie that somehow truth is fluid, that it's changeable, that it's relative to each individual person. Therefore, what's true for you may be different than what's true for me. Now, that might work when it comes to our taste for food or our interest in hobbies or even ice cream. Like this woman said to her husband, I like to hear your honest opinion as long as it's the same as mine. I have a friend who insists that peppermint chocolate chip ice cream is the best. But there's no objective standard to determine which really is the best flavor. That's an opinion. That's a preference. So there's no such thing as your truth and my truth or alternative facts, which is the buzzword today. That's referred to as postmodernism, by the way, which says what's true for you is true for you, 
And what's true for me is true for me. But truth is not open to reevaluation or redefinition. Every truth belongs to God. And if we don't see the way, see things the way God sees them, we're the ones who are wrong. God makes objective claims that are true for everyone. Therefore, there are eternal consequences for everyone. And that is true whether you believe it or not. God's truth is for everyone in all places and in all times. Now, we would be in a very hopeless situation were not for the Lord Jesus, who declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice, he said, he is the truth. And that's truth with a capital T. So the Lord Jesus came so we could know the truth and we could see the truth. And we see also in the book of John, this verse in John 1.17, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ not only brought truth from heaven, but he also brought grace. And grace is God's kindness and his favor bestowed on us who do not deserve his grace and never can earn it. Everyone needs God's grace. But if God dealt with us only according to his truth, none of us would survive because listen to these truthful statements. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Oh my, those are truthful statements and we just stand amazed at it. What can we do? But God also deals with us in grace and truth. Because yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. So grace without truth would be deceitful, and truth without grace would be condemning. Therefore, grace and truth are inseparable, and both of them came to us through Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is nothing but one course of testimony to the heavenly grace and truth of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said these words. He said, the spirit of truth shall guide you into all truth. So the Lord Jesus declared he is the truth. We just saw that. The word of God is truth, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that apart from the help of the Spirit of God, we cannot know God's truth. The Spirit of God illuminates the truth for us so we can understand it in the Word of God, the Bible. We also read in 2 Corinthians that the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God because they have not been given the mind of Christ. Do you understand what a gift that is that has been given to us as believers in Jesus Christ, that we have the mind of Christ. It's just a matter if we will avail ourselves to that moment by moment. And when I talk about the mind of Christ, I'm talking about the attitude of Christ, of seeing life from Jesus Christ's point of view. When you became a Christian, you came to the knowledge of the truth in whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So first you heard the word of truth, the gospel, that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and arose again. And having heard the word, then you believed. You placed your faith in that. And it's this faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that brought you salvation. And the very moment you trusted in Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit entered your body and you became a spiritual person. And you are identified into the body of Christ and he will remain with you forever. He is God's gift to you to teach you God's truth. 
So as a new believer in Jesus Christ, and I remember this so well, you open the door a little bit, and a little bit of light comes through as you learn and you hear and you see God's truth. So it's here a little and there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, fragment upon fragment, and slowly, over time, the Word of God, the Bible, begins to make sense. And then as time goes on, the Holy Spirit opens the door a little wider and more light comes through. And into your mind, this light comes to dispel the darkness of lies and deception. And you begin to see your life as God sees it. The Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Light bears witness to itself. It tells you it is there. And the Lord Jesus said, I am the light. Not merely a light, nor one light among many lights. He said, I am the light for the whole world. A friend recently shared with me that she and her husband took a trip to the Cayman Islands, and the Cayman Islands is known for its scuba diving and snorkeling sites, and they both love scuba diving. So this was a perfect location for them to travel. And as they drove, dove underwater, uh, they were in awe of the brilliant colors on the ocean floor and the brilliant colors that were around them of the flora and the fauna and the fish. They saw reds, yellow, blue, corals. They were amazed and light reflected off each object and revealed its color. But beyond 40 feet from shore, as the depth of the ocean increases, my friend noticed that the brilliant colors faded and eventually all became gray and shadowy. Why? Because very little light from the surface penetrates at the depth and beyond. You need light to see color. And our life is like that. We need the Lord Jesus' light to bring color to our lives, to dispel the darkness. Because our minds are like a canvas. When we were born, there is very little on that canvas, but as we begin learning things, one brush stroke after another adds color and content to our life, to our thoughts. And without God's light, however, the colors become dark and dull. But when we accepted Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit dipped his paintbrush into the scriptures, the palette of scripture, and painted our minds with God's truth. And he covers a canvas with his brilliant, vibrant colors of his love and his joy and his peace and his gentleness and his goodness. And the more we meditate on Scripture, the more we hide God's Word in our heart and think about it, the brighter our minds become, and the wiser our thoughts, and the happier our lives, because Jesus Christ is the light. And our life can also reflect the light of the Lord Jesus, even in some very dark places. And are you in a dark place tonight? Your darkness may involve illness. It may involve depression, uh, physical pain, financial troubles, marriage struggles, or worried over your loved ones. But the more you spend time in the presence of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, reading his word, speaking to him, trusting him, walking by faith, the more your life will take on or reflect his light. For as Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Walk as children of light. I love that thought, that we can walk as children of light. Do you have the light of life? Do you have the light of eternal life? If not, come to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, because God loves you. You are made in his image. Your value is unchanging in his eyes, and God is reconciling and rescuing you to himself through the sacrificial life and death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
You know, the gospel goes much deeper than our feelings or our behavior. It is deeper than what we think we are. And I love the good news of the gospel because it flows down to our self-concept that says, I'm not good enough. It soaks into those hard, dark places where our self-image is at odds of what God thinks of us. Because we know that verse so well from John 3:16, For God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. God is not angry with you. He's not displeased with you. God loves you. God is pleased with Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his death and resurrection. The Lord Jesus also said this about truth. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is the prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed to God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was thinking of his own. He was thinking of you, dear believer, as he brought this prayer to the Heavenly Father. And he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The Lord Jesus promised that the Spirit would teach us, his children, and guide us into truth. So God's word is truth. The Son is truth, His Spirit is truth, and all three touch every part of our inner self right here. And we can live by God's truth every single day. So consider what this means in your life on a day-to-day basis. As I drive down the street, or I interact with my husband, or I do the laundry, or I get unexpected bills, or the debit account is low, or I grocery shop, or I speak to my friend, or interact with my coworkers, or even the teller at the bank, I can think about God's truth, about my life, and about the people in them. And ladies, this is not positive thinking, which we hear about so much today. This is thinking on what's true. This is thinking on God's truth, what he says in his holy word. And it's in the interior of our lives that God does his greatest work. Now, a lot of people are concerned about what they look on the outside, and I commend them for that. Uh, Those who exercise and eat healthy and uh, walk, I mean, that's wonderful. A bodily exercise profits a little, the Bible says, and that's great. But God concerns himself most with the hidden person of the heart, which according to the sight of God is precious in his sight. I love that thought. Now, we're warned in scripture over and over again in the old testament and in the new be careful what you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts now what's wonderful is that god's truth guards our hearts and steers us away from harmful thoughts and poor decisions and teaches us where to focus our attention but we venture into enemy territory every single day And we need God's truth to guard our hearts because our minds can go bonkers (laughs) so quickly and so easily. But God's truth can protect our hearts. But there are days that just because we know God's truth doesn't mean we're going to walk in God's truth. Perhaps you desire to live the spirit-filled life like we read about in 2 Corinthians 2. And you find yourself... Up one day, you're feeling great. Your circumstances are good. Um, Others are sweet to you. But the next day is totally different. You're down in the dumps, uh, completely miserable. You're no longer feeling great. You don't even look great (laughs) as you look in the mirror. And, And circumstances are hard. And people are difficult. So life becomes this emotional roller coaster, if you will. We're constantly dependent upon our circumstances to work out or we're waiting for people to be nice to us. And so friends may come along and they may offer you advice and they might say, just read the Bible more. And you do, but still there's no change. Just pray more. And you do, but nothing changes. Go to church. uh, Go to the women's Bible study. But still there's not this transformation in your thinking. Why? If our thinking patterns are not changed by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, by the power of God, then our thinking will not change no matter what we do. 
That's why trying to change your life by external sources or behaviors will lead to a dead end because you're starting at the end. So in order for our thinking to change, it has to begin from the inside and then work out. Now, I don't know who conducted this research, but bless the person who did. Because this one researcher came up and said that women speak around 25,000 to 30,000 words a day. I like to meet that researcher followed a woman around for a day and wrote how many words. <laughs> and also research says that we process 70,000 thoughts a day, which no one hears but God, for God knows the secrets of the heart. If you break this down, that's 130 words per minute. That's a lot of words. That's a considerable amount. And most of those words are spoken to ourselves. That inner dialogue, that inner conversation that we have with ourselves on a daily basis. And the words that we speak to ourselves, dwell on, can cause our emotions to run wild. <laughs> or those thoughts can be God's truth in our thinking, which settles us and establishes us. Now, how many of the 70,000 thoughts you think per day are filtered through God's truth, are filtered through Scripture? You know what happens too often? We filter our thoughts through our emotions. So it's so easy to struggle with envy and bitterness and anger and self-loathing or harmful attitudes and lies rather than directing our thoughts to God's truth. Now here's a warning. Emotions are good. Emotions are wonderful. They are, they are the appreciators of life. But emotions don't think. They're a signal of what you are feeling on the inside. And what we do with these feelings will lead us either down a healthy path or an unhealthy path. So question your emotions. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that feeling is true. Sometimes we think our feelings are greater than God's truth, and then we get into trouble. So as you heard of the 70,000 thoughts you have per day, you might respond, wow, that's way too many thoughts to manage in a day. But God has gifted us with this ability that we are only allowed to think one thought at a time. Wasn't that gracious of our Heavenly Father? Now, in the first message in September on what we think, I talked about the five-second rule. But it wasn't this five-second rule that the Lockhorns have when Mrs. Lockhorn comes to her husband and she says, I've decided to serve the casserole anyway, Leroy. Thank goodness for the five-second rule. Well, that's her five-second rule. The five-second rule that I mentioned in my uh, first message has to do with the fact that when a defeating thought enters your mind, you have about five seconds to take that thought captive and not let it run wild. Otherwise, that thought will take you captive. Now, that doesn't mean we're to examine every single thought we have, but it means this, to stop and take a good look if it's a hurtful thought if it's a critical thought, if it's, if it's a self-centered thought, or angry, or proud, or any thought that takes away your peace. Lack of peace is a good barometer for us to see what thought to take captive to the obedience of Christ. And to the obedience of Christ means the power of Christ, that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ can help us to take our thoughts captive as we're resting and abiding in him. Now here's a quick review from my first lesson. For those of you who weren't here, this might be new to you. So here we go. Now between your ears, you store your thoughts. And it's full of everything you say to yourself. And when you think a thought, a tiny messenger, is sent from one brain cell to another brain cell. And the path that this takes is called the neural pathway. And the more times the path is traveled, the more well-worn that path becomes. So when that little messenger has traveled that path a hundred times, a 
thousand times, ten thousand times, it becomes very well worn. And your brain doesn't even have to stop to think before you judge your friend or before you become angry at your husband or get down on yourself or become bitter about your life or anxious about your future. Your brain has automated the thought. It's a rut of an old habit or pattern, deep pathways that are carved into your brain over the years. So you may try to change that path on your own, but that little messenger in your brain can say, no thanks, Mm -mm, not having it. I know the way to go, the path of least resistance. It's my comfort zone. William Barclay, who is a, uh, was a theologian and writer, commented, this is something of utmost importance because it's a law of life. If a person thinks of something often enough, he or she will come to the stage when he can't stop thinking about it. His thoughts will be quite literally in a groove out of which he cannot jerk them. Okay. So if we want to change, it begins with our thought life. And the Holy Spirit has given us the power and ability to change. But this comes with a warning. Our brain loves routine. There was William Barclay's quote. I'm sorry, I didn't get that for you there. So I have a learning moment for you right now, proving to you that our brain loves routine. Will you do this with me, please? All right. Cross your arms and observe which arm comes to the top, which, car, which arm comes to the surface. Is it your left or your right? Mine is my left. Now do it, and this time cross the opposite arm. Do you see you're kind of struggling to get that to happen, to that to occur? Why was that so difficult for you? Because you've been doing the same thing over and over again throughout the years. Your brain loves the path of least resistance. The easiest way is the way it's going to choose. And unfortunately, that's most commonly true with unhealthy thinking. Unless it's been replaced by God's truth. And if we aren't used to thinking God's thoughts, it takes more mental effort, more work to think biblically. But do not lose heart, dear friends. Do not give up. That's why scripture encourages us over and over again that I have given you help. I have given you the spirit of God. I've given you the mind of Christ. You have all that you need in Christ. You have all the resources available to you to think God's truth and to create new neural pathways of thought. Now, brain research supports this process. Uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, who is a neuroscientist, said this, You are not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better. You can literally change your brain. And when you do, you change your life. How you feel is often related to the quality of your thoughts. If you direct your thoughts to what you're grateful for, then your brain will work better. Now, I don't know if Dr. Amon is a believer or not, but he certainly has some great research that supports the Bible. And we know the word of God says, whatever, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. With all prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So whether it's a neuroscientist or it's the word of God saying it, being thankful for what we have is a huge determiner in how we think. It starts with thankfulness. And as believers, we have the mind of Christ, but we won't be able to use this incredible gift unless we recognize, first of all, that our emotional way of thinking is totally opposite from God's. And we all have old patterns that we tend to return to, and none of us are alone in this. We've all experienced this. We tend to go back to those same old ways and patterns of thinking. But the Lord says, your thoughts are important to me because it's the first to be triggered in the chain reaction of our souls. 
Our thoughts can sustain us or they can poison us. And what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, what we believe about our life will affect the outcome of our day or the outcome of our week or the outcome of this year or years. So the thoughts we carry around also affect our relationships and they affect our world around us. And that's why scripture says in the Old Testament and it says in the New Testament, renew your mind. I think my battery's going. Oh, there it is. Oops. In fact, it says in um, Romans 12, 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the word renew there means to exchange one thought for another. Exchange the thoughts that you have that are the harmful thoughts for God's thoughts. And when we renew our mind with God's truth, we're exchanging our thoughts for his. We change our thoughts and our thoughts change our attitude and our attitude changes our feeling and our feelings change our behavior because what we think determines how we will behave. Oh, but that world, our flesh, that sin nature, and the devil are very good at distracting us from renewing our mind. Because life throws us numerous responsibilities and problems that demand our attention. So mind renewal is not dependent upon perfect circumstances. Quite often mind renewal takes place in imperfect circumstances. But it's dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ who is perfect because he's promised us his perfect peace, his shalom. And we can have his perfect peace, his shalom, if you will, which is a Hebrew word for peace, in the midst of chaos in our life. That's why mind renewal is so very important. The eagle is a symbol of renewal in Scripture. And you know this verse, don't you? Well, from Isaiah 40, 31, where it says, But those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So Scripture often refers to the eagle as a symbol of the renewal process. And one of the reasons God uses this symbol is because the eagle's physical strength is literally renewed after each molting season. And only after the eagle has put off the old feathers does he receive physical strength to soar above his enemies. And it's the same with us, ladies, when we renew our minds. When we take in the word of God, we read it, we meditate on it, we believe it, we stand on it, so to speak, we trust it. Even when life doesn't make sense, God gives us his supernatural strength to soar above our enemies of worry, our enemies of anxiety, of bitterness, discouragement. And the Lord gives us an eagle eye view. And as we're soaring above our enemies, we're able to have this eagle's eye view and we're looking down, if you will, on our problems and our issues and our circumstances because we are in heavenly places in Christ. That's our positional standing. And as in, in that positional standing, I love that vantage point. I can look down and say, oh yeah, there are all those problems down there. There they are. But I can see that the Lord has me covered and that he's taking care of them and I'm trusting him. Because in God's word it says that I can trust him. In God's word it says I can do all things through Christ. And that's what I'm trusting. And that's how I renew my mind. And I change my thinking from looking at things horizontally and now looking at things vertically because I'm looking at things from the Savior's viewpoint. That is the mind of Christ. And I love that. There are probably a thousand ways we can get our minds distorted so that we need to have renewal. And I'm going to share three of the deadliest as I see them. And each is a barrier to seeing truth for what it is. Here's the first one. 
I'm not good enough. And here's the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The only way to recognize a lie is to know the truth. D.L. Moody once said, the best way to show a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or to spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. And God's truth works in the same way. Now, all of us have times when we have bouts of insecurity and panics of insignificance. We tend to measure ourselves against people who seem to have it all together. And we find ourselves saying, I'm not a good student. I'm just not a good friend. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good parent. I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good person. And in one way, it is true. We are not good enough. The Bible says there is nothing good in our flesh and that our fallen self is like a sin factory for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's painful to read that those who, didn't, who are, um, deny salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, apart from good works, are going to end eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. The gospel says we need saving from ourselves, we need forgiveness, and on our own we are not good enough for heaven. We're not strong enough, we're not successful enough, we're not talented enough, we're not loving enough. But Jesus Christ is enough. And that's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. He went to the cross because he is good enough. He is perfect. And in his perfection, he took upon himself your sins and my sins so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life with him. And when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not only good enough, you are perfect in him. For he has made Christ to be sin for us, though he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when we come to Christ, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, tossed into the depths of the deepest sea. And when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ, and he says, you are perfect. In fact, you are altogether lovely, just like my Savior, just like the Savior. So who then stands before you and condemns you? Too often, we are our worst enemy, and we condemn ourselves, and we play this record over and over again in our mind of our faults and our failures and what we could have done, should have done, and our regrets. And I don't think we realize how much our past impacts what we think about ourselves. But according to Scripture, our past does not define us, our present does not define us, but who we trust, that's what defines us. So grab a hold of grace. If you are one that struggles with this, I'm not good enough, lie. Whatever failures trouble you, whatever shortcomings you wish your family and friends wouldn't see, the Lord Jesus Christ defends you as as the advocate at the right hand of the Father. And he says, I died for her sins. The sin debt has been paid. She's a new creation in Christ. So make up your mind that no matter how much you've failed in the past or how weak and insignificant you may feel, you can trust God is at work behind the scenes of your life, making all things work together for your spiritual good because he loves you. And what the enemy or others meant for evil, your God certainly can use for good. So this is something you can know. This is something you can experience as a believer in Jesus Christ, how much God loves you. I want you to get a hold of this, ladies. His love is deep and wide. Do you know that song from Bible school? And we'd sing that to the children, and they love it. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide, and the children, did, they loved the song, but they didn't know what that meant. And so I would say to the children, okay, deep and wide, this is the measure of Christ's love for you. It's deep and it's wide. It's as wide as the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross of Calvary for you. And it's so deep you can't even fathom the depths of God's love for you. And it's as long as eternity. And that's how to explain it to the children about the love of Christ for them. But it's true for you, too. We can rest from all the things we think we have to do to make God love us more. We can rest from all the guilt, from all the sins we have committed. We can rest from our inner lawyer that says to us, you are not good enough. You should have been better. You should have tried harder. That inner lawyer keeps score, compares, condemns, let it go. This verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord 
being transformed into the same image. I love this verse. This is such a wonderful truth for a believer in Jesus Christ that we tend to forget about it or ignore it. And let's not do that. Because you and I can share in the image of Christ. We are not very good at seeing ourselves clearly, I don't think, because sometimes our cognitive lenses are smudged. And, and the hurts that we've experienced and the wounds and the harmful relationships we've had, all those things impact our view of ourselves. And we don't get a clear perspective. So that's why I really appreciate this verse. Now, the mirror in this verse is referring to the Word of God. And I brought a mirror with me. Here it is. Ooh. And when you look into this physical mirror, oh, you see all your effect. I have this on the magnifying side. What am I doing? You see all of your flaws and your imperfections, and you start to get really down on yourself. But that's why I love to pick up the Word of God and open it up and let it reflect me. And I can see, oh, Father, in your sight, I'm altogether lovely, no matter how old I am. <laughs> I am being renewed day by day through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you love me in Christ. Look at how much you care for me. And so I open the Word of God and read more verses, and I can see the, word, the Lord Jesus Christ reflected in me. And that's what this is, means when it says, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image. We're being transformed by God's grace, and that increases in our lives. And the older we get, the more transformation takes place. And isn't that lovely? It's one of the benefits of growing up, if you will, growing old in the Lord. So, yes, this does reveal the truth about our physical self. That's why I prefer to pick up this, the Word of God, and see my spiritual self from the eyes of my precious Savior. God loves you too much for you to live with a wrong impression of yourself, ladies. So let's not do that. Uh, God sees every single situation from a different vantage point. He sees how you were raised. He knows what happened to you. He knows your disappointments. He knows your fears, your anxieties. He's the one who knows everything about you. And get this, the one who knows you the best loves you the most. You are worthy of his love as he demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. He proved his love for you on the cross. And God has that truth to counter every lie the enemy throws at you. And here's another lie. I would be happy if, and here's the truth, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. So I have some questions for you. What makes you happy? Truly happy. Uh, a sustained happiness. Is it financial security? A change in location? A husband, perhaps? A child? A fulfilling job? Loving parents? Good health? Well, here's the truth. Nothing can fill in that blank successfully except the Lord Jesus Christ, because haven't we all tried? There's always going to be emptiness surrounding the thing or experience or person we think will make us happy. On the last day of March, I received a phone call from Maurice's with an announcement. The previous day, I had purchased a few clothes at Maurice's, and they said I could sign up for their gift basket. So I did, and I won. <laughs> <laughs> whoops I won oh I was happy I was excited I saw a gift certificate in my future to buy my spring wardrobe just what I needed or maybe they're going to throw some jewelry in there as well so I went to Maurice's and I picked up my gift basket and what did I find A tumbler, live tulips, calories, meaning they put candy in the basket, and a convicting plaque that read, happiness blooms from within. And I looked at that, and I thought, there's got to be a gift certificate in here somewhere, and there was none. I was disappointed. I was a little peeved, actually. Why would Maurice's give away a plaque? They don't sell plaques, they sell clothes. And eventually I said to Barry, 
do you think God has a message for me on that plaque? And Barry looked at me as the only way Barry can, and he looked at me like, like, Benjamin, yes. <laughs> so I hung the plaque on the bedroom door to remind me daily that happiness blooms from within. It's not on external things. And the content of my thinking determines my happiness. Now, I must admit, I'm not always content with the things that I have, and there was my admission to you right there. Uh, they're not quite often, life doesn't work out the way that I want it to be. And I'm still learning contentment, ladies, at my age. Contentment is God's well-kept secret. Now, God has a lot of secrets he keeps to himself, but this one secret of contentment he shares with believers. And I have the secret code, if you will, to break the code of the secret of contentment, and here it is. The code is 413, in case you're looking for it. Maybe you know that code. Do you? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now those all things in that verse are whatever lies before you today. God will give you the strength to get up in the morning and face the day. The Lord Jesus can help you with that. So yes, ladies, happiness blooms from within, and that's why the Christian life is to be lived from the inside out. So I couldn't help but think of this hymn when I was uh, looking at my gift basket. Lord, I would place my hand in thine, nor ever murmur, nor repine. Content whatever lot or gift basket I see, since tis my God that leadeth me. Which is a very good reminder as we think of the third lie that's out there. And here it is. My situation appears hopeless. And here's the truth. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. One of the modern lies that ought to be silenced is that when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get rid of all of your problems. You don't. And it's true that your basic spiritual problem, your relationship with God, has been solved. You're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But with that solution comes a whole set of problems that you did not face when you were an unbeliever. But I like this verse. Because there is the way of escape. In early Greek usage, this term escape had the sense of a landing place, and it was a nautical term. And the idea is not that God will enable us to escape trials, but that he will enable us to land safely on the other side, just like he did with the disciples who were caught on that tumultuous sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm. And the Lord Jesus Christ brought them safely over to the other side. The Lord Jesus was the disciples' way of escape. And ladies, the Lord Jesus Christ is the way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Whatever trial you're going through now, whatever trials you're going through, I'll put it in the plural because quite often we're going through more than one, aren't we? The Lord Jesus is the way, not a way, the way of escape. When my mother went to heaven when I was 30, my situation appeared hopeless. I was married, I had a three-year-old daughter, and I needed my mom. And I knew that dad would not take my mom's death well. He, I was so right. He asked me to leave the house hours after the funeral. He didn't want to talk, and certainly not with his children, my two younger brothers and I. Immediately, the family lost its bearings, and they drifted apart. Mother had nurtured her family with such love and tenderness, and we all revolved around mom's love for us. And as much as I tried to keep the family together, the family did not do well. And I grieved mother's death, and I also grieved the death of our family. And I could not understand why God allowed my mom to die so soon after she accepted Christ as her Savior. We had so many spiritual things yet to talk about. And then to leave us with dad who did not want to talk about the Lord. In fact, he wanted to debate everything that had to do with the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as I look back on those years, I realize God sees every single situation in our life from a different vantage point than we do. And sometimes God's greatest work might be wrapped in our biggest trial. God's love nurtured me throughout these years. God's love strengthened me and my brothers uh, who became children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And we have so many verses that were helpful to us during this time. Uh, Here's one of them. Uh, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When I would visit my son and daughter-in-law in Tucson, Arizona, and I look up at the Catalina Mountains, I would think of that verse. Because when I would look up at the mountains, I would think about focusing my attention on the Lord and looking vertically rather than horizontally at all my problems before me. And that's why I think this verse and other verses like it says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Looking vertically, setting my mind on things above at the resurrected, ascended Christ, I could see the greatness of God and realize I serve a great and loving God who cares about me. He cares about every single detail of my life. And that's why Psalm 139 as well became such an extremely important passage of Scripture to me. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. In lesson two of this series, what God thinks about us, we saw in Psalm 139 that God thinks of you all the time. He thinks the world of you. And all of his thoughts come wrapped in his love for you. He thinks of you before you get out of bed in the morning. And I was reminding myself that this morning, because I was thinking of all the things that I had to do, and I thought, wait a minute, Father, you're thinking about all that for me. He's thinking about you and watching over you long before you get out of that bed. So live your life in the greatness of God. You are a child of God and an heir of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and say every day to yourself, if you get down, I am a child of God. I am a child of the King. And that repositions your thinking. Because when it comes to God, never get up, give up what you do know for what you do not. There are many things we do not know why things are going on in our life the way they are. We cannot explain it. And reason can only take us so far, and then you have to trust the things that confuse you but are now clear to the Lord. He knows how you think. He knows what you think. He knows what you need. He knows your history. He knows your problems. He knows your family. He knows everything people have said or done. And I cannot explain how God works behind the scenes, but God did make the way of escape for me. And I will say this again. That way of escape was the Lord Jesus Christ, and I could run to his arms by faith and say, Father, Protect me, help me, uphold me. And I learned to stop asking God, why? (laughs) Because I was asking God that a lot. Why, Father, why? Instead, I asked God, how? How can I go forward through these hard things? And the answer came back, by faith. And also this, just do the next thing, Carol. It may be simply getting out of bed or getting off the couch or getting out of the house or doing the laundry or the dishes that have been sitting in the sink or preparing dinner or taking care of that little girl of yours. And as you do, ask him to give you joy in those small yet noticeable ways and press on and collapse in God's everlasting arms. You know, throughout my years of walking with the Lord and looking to him and thanking him and beholding him and appreciating him, I've come to the realization that the most important thing God values in my life is my faith, my trust in him. It's a very, very big deal to God. And as a result, he does send troubles to prove my faith, but faith clings to the Lord Jesus even when life appears to have fallen apart. God absolutely delights in this kind of faith. A young pastor and wife were having their first baby, and he was in the delivery room, and the little baby was stuck in the birth canal. And suddenly, panic overtook the room, and of course, the father panicked as well. But a doctor came over to him and looked him square in the eye and said, in a moment, there will be 20 people in the delivery room. There's going to be a lot of buzz, but relax. Relax. We've been here before, and we know what we're doing. 
and everything is going to be okay. We can remember these words, too, for there are times we need to back off, get into the Word of God, the Bible, and remember that God says, don't worry. I know what I'm doing, and everything is going to be okay. As I close the message, I have three more truths to leave with you. I'll say these quickly. There's so many truths I could share. I didn't know which ones, but these are the ones that I'd like to leave you with. And here's the first one, coming from Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Life controlled by truth and motivated by love is a beautiful life. And the Lord Jesus is a picture of that life. We not only speak the truth in love to others, but we live the truth in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Truth unites, lies divide. That's true in marriage. That's true in friendship. That's true in the local church. Here's another truth to share with you. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Truth was true in Pilate's day. It's true now. It'll be true forever. It applies to all people in all times and all places. Truth is timeless. And it's so comforting for me to know that something that was true thousands of years ago when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life is true today. That both God and truth never change. And also another part I want to bring out in this verse is God's truth is intended to be passed to the next generation. And lastly, lead me in your truth and teach me. This can be our prayer for those who sing this psalm, profess the same attitude as David. With the nine lessons now behind us, where are we going to go from here? What are we going to do with the information and the verses and what we learned throughout this series? Well, I'm going to encourage you to stay the course. Think on things that are true about God in your life. And be careful not to slide back into old patterns and old ways of thinking that will destroy you. Stand, therefore, and have your loins girt about with truth. The father of lies is going to continually, spiritually attack all of us. And remember where the battle is? The battle is for the mind. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan's fiery darts can only be extinguished by faith and putting on the armor of God daily. It doesn't take more willpower. It doesn't take more fortitude, more self-discipline to win the battle. Simply this, ladies. Trust the Lord and his love for you because that settles you. And then you choose to believe it. So destructive thoughts and lies, be warned. You are no longer going to win the battle in our minds any longer because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If there's one thing God wants for you and me to realize is that victory is in Christ Jesus. We are not to feel defeated before the day begins. He wants us to be victorious from the get-go. And look at the end of this verse, ladies. We are more than conquerors. How did that last part of the verse end? You can say it with me. Through him who loved us. That love is repeated from the beginning of scripture to the end. The love of God for us. Now scripture never promises that we won't have self-centered thoughts and emotions and desires. We're still human and we're going to have these thoughts until we see the Lord Jesus face to face. However, we can have moment by moment victory as we walk by faith. My closing words are of thanks to all of you ladies. So many of you have been so kind to tell Faye and me how much uh, the power of our thoughts series has ministered to you as you've battled spiritual and emotional problems, as we all do. And we also appreciate your taking time to attend the messages or listen online. And we're going to continue to pray for you, that you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that your life will be all that God designed it to be. And may God continue to richly bless you 
and your desire to know the truth and the freedom it leads to. To close this series, I'd like you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray for you what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory to the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen.